Happy Sunday. Welcome to Life Point Westerville. Wow. Let's give our band a hand. Are they amazing? Wow. We serve such a holy God who is set apart in so many ways. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be able to be here and worship him and be led by such a great team. If you are a new guest, we are really glad that you've chosen LifePoint Westerville as your place of worship this morning. What I would encourage you to do is take your phone out, open the camera. There's a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. Uh, wave your camera over that and that's that will take you to lps.com, where you can find out notes for today, and you can also fill out a new guest information card that will let us know how you heard about us, which is a huge, huge blessing. And then you can pick a ministry, a local ministry of your choice, and then we are going to make a donation to that local ministry in your honor today just for saying thank you for coming. Uh, it's really, really cool. Um, in our series, we are in the series called New. It's on the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus, from Jesus. And as we dive into the, to the revelation, um, one of the things that we want to get across throughout this series is this is way more about a, a, a current hope than a future calendar. Okay, so this scripture is about a, a current hope versus a, a future calendar. And I think that's really, really important, especially today, because we're going to dive into some kind of harder things in Scripture, right? These are some of the things that, you know, most people try to avoid, but I think you're going to enjoy as we go through. And so one of the things that I want you to consider as we go through it is that regardless, the, the church that this was written to and then the church that is here today uh, we now sit, I want you to remember this, in a grace period, okay? We sit right now in a grace period. I learned about what a grace period really was uh, in high school, my senior year. We had had the graduation party. We got all the cards, and I had well over $1,000. And so what I decided to do was put a down payment on a T-top black RS Camaro. Yes. I was in love, and uh, it was awesome. And then I took my girlfriend, who is now my wife, uh, to prom in the T-top black Camaro. I was feeling really, really good. Uh, I spent all my money on a down payment, and then, you know, that was my first loan. So I realized, oh, wait, yeah, you actually have to make payments on this thing, right? And so I ended up um, looking at my payment book, and I was late. And so I rushed to the, to the actual bank, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm late. And they were like, oh, no, no, you're, you're in good shape. You know, after the due date, you still have a grace period. And I was like, whew, yes, okay, I don't have much money, so this is good news. I'm not in a, a no penalty. I'm still, we're still in a grace period. So even though these things that we're going to hear, the church that we're talking about today, the things that they are going through, they are in a grace period. And for us, we right now are in a grace period. Would you all join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, don't let us shut out your Holy Spirit this morning. Let this church hear what you would have us say through your word today. We love you so, so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
So today, you can turn in your Bibles or on your phone to Revelation chapter 6, and uh, I'll start there in just a moment. There's a few really important things that I think will be helpful today as we dive into this scripture because we need real context to understand what is going on. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of the inner three, John is the one who is writing this scripture. He's one of the 12 disciples. And he is the last remaining disciple on earth. All the other disciples had been martyred and killed for the name of, of Jesus. And so John finds himself on the island of Patmos in jail. And then he gets this revelation. And what I want you to understand is this revelation that he gets was for the churches. It's for this church today, yes. But it was also for the churches in his day, the seven churches. And so when you when he was teaching them, you got to understand that they were under a lot of persecution, just like the disciples. They were getting beaten. They were getting tortured. They were getting jailed all for the name of Jesus. And so those things are important for us to consider today. This word that they are going to hear today, this word that they heard, that you're going to hear, and that they heard was life. And they knew the word, not just this word, but they knew the word of God. They were really familiar with it because it was their breath. They needed it. They needed to know what it was because they were in persecution. And so they were drawing from it in a really, really big way. And what I want you to know is that the church then and the church now, these guys, when they heard this, they were not scared at all. None of this scared them. It actually emboldened them. So this news shouldn't scare us. They realized that their efforts and struggles that they were going through were going to be worth it. And everything that they had seen and experienced, their friends and their family members who were hurt and chastised and persecuted for the name, that the Lord was going to use it all, even this hard stuff, to redeem it's redeem everyone. And so the thing that we need to know is we receive this news now just like they received the news before it happens, okay? Before it happens. So this news for the church, as hard as it is to hear, should actually embolden us. Second thing we need to consider is that God doesn't put the same value on our physical bodies as we do. He knows that our physical bodies are, you know, just a grace period. They're just temporary. We were created to live, when we were originally created in the garden, we were created to live with him in peace and love forever. And then, but, but now our physical bodies, they don't last forever. So we sit in a grace period and he sees it that way. So he knows that in, it, in, in our eyes, we see that life as the beginning of something, right? And then death as the end of something. Not so with the Lord. The Lord sees life as the beginning of something. And it starts when we accept him and give him our lives. That's when eternal life starts with him. But he also sees death as the beginning 
of something. Because if you do not know the Lord, death is the beginning. And I won't call it life because the Bible calls it death. But death is the beginning of existence apart from him. Okay? And so this, the, the Lord just doesn't look at life like we do. And so that said... He will use the hardships that we experience now in our physical bodies and the hardships that we experience throughout the world with all the death, the sickness, and the the pain that we go through. He will use it all to help us realize because there's this gravity that we experience where we want to be the center and we want to be able to get life for ourselves, but we were not created that way. He created life, and so he's created us for life, and he will use all the bad experiences that we experience to help us see that we need him. He is the life. He's the one we have to draw life from. Apart from him is death. And so that, those things are really important to consider today. Now, Matthew had talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and so I'm just going to give you context for these verses. So John is, do you remember where it said that he, where Matthew said that John was weeping? right? He was actually crying. He was given the vision by Jesus and he was crying because there was no one on earth or in heaven found worthy to open the scroll. So why is he crying? He's crying because he knew if nobody is worthy to open the scrolls, then the end is not going to happen and we are going to be stuck in this sin and death cycle forever. And so he was weeping. But then there was one who was found worthy to open the scrolls. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain for us, was found worthy to open the scrolls. And so Jesus opens the scrolls, and that's where we dive in today. And so while you are turning there to to Revelation 6, I will just tell you that we need to remember that this is an unbridled sin reality. Okay, this is an unbridled sin reality. And I'll give you more context in a minute. Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb had opened the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer So this, the first seal, is the beginning of the seals that we'll talk about. Is he he opens the scroll and there's this rider on a white horse, right? And when we've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? This, this is the first. And usually when we talk about that, when you see movies about them, it's all scary and all that stuff. Not, not for not for these people, not for this church. They'd have been like, let's go. This is, it's, it's the time. The Lord's going to come. Like repentance is going to come. Salvation is going to come. Redemption is going to come. All these things were a part of it. And so they would have remembered Zechariah 1.8 because this, these four horsemen are talked about in Zechariah and they knew the word. And so it would have reminded them immediately of the four horsemen there. And they had been given reign over portions of the earth. And so in Zechariah 1.8 it says, I saw in the night and behold a man riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, surreal, and white 
horses. And so they would immediately have known, John would have known, and the church would have known, oh, this is a reference. This, is, this, this isn't scary. We know this. Now, then they're called out into the arena, right? This first horse is called out to the arena, and then I'm going to go through the other, the, other, the other horses as well, but they said, come. So they're being brought forth. Come. It's time. And the first horse, the, the rider of the white horse, okay, he is the Antichrist set to deceive and mimic the true faithful one. In Revelation 19, Jesus rides in on a white horse and it says he is the one who is faithful and true. But this horse would have represented deception and false prophet. This would have been the Antichrist set to deceive and draw people astray. And so this is the first seal that's opened and this horseman is let out into the world. The second seal that is open is the red horse. And that would have been the horse of war. And he is going to be unleashed with unbridled fury so that the whole world sees the true hearts of men and their quest for power when it cannot be quenched. And so the, the red horse, the horse of war is let out. And that's one of the next seals. Then there is the, the third seal with the black horse that is unleashed so that the whole world sees that real famine looks like. And so the Lord is the sustainer of all life, even plants. He created all things. And so if he does not sustain things, they go away. And so the Lord is, go the, the world is going to experience what true famine is like. And everybody is going to experience it. And so that's the black horse. And then there is the pale horse. And this is the horse of sickness and plagues. And the way that I want you to imagine this, in, in, in the original Greek, that word pale would have been translated like a greenish yellow. And the way that I think about this is like jaundice. If you've ever seen somebody that has jaundice and their bilirubin is low, if you look at the whites of their eyes that are normally white, they're kind of like a yellowish green. And it's like this, it's, and it says that these plagues represent death. And so the grace of medicine and vaccines and even our own immune systems aren't going to be able to uh, keep us from safety when this horse is released, when this horseman and the rider is released, right? And I know what you're thinking right now. Woo! Okay. Yeah, let's go. Right? Well, this is a sin reality. This, this, is, this is stuff that is being let out. And the way that the Lord helped me think about this, and I'm going to try to do the same for you, just so that you can understand, is actually uh, a picture of a dam. And so I went over to the Hoover Reservoir, and I took some video. And so I'm going to show that to you, and then I will continue. You see that 
that water shooting out below the dam. It's like a pressure release valve. And I feel like that's a really good picture of our current reality in sin. Because, you know, there's areas under there that are calm and not really affected. And I feel like that's a good representation of us because we can kind of manage our own sin, manage the things around us and, and not let it affect us too much. But then there's sometimes where we just experience the reality of sin and death and sickness and pain. And we feel like we are just standing right underneath that huge, huge flow of water. And we're just being crushed. The reality is, is that Jesus, by his grace, is still letting us not feel the full wrath of how bad things could be. He is holding back the full weight of our sin, just like a dam. We still live in a world where the gospel is alive, the Holy Spirit is inside his people, and that is tempering his wrath towards sin. So here we're the four horsemen, and the Lord is letting us see what our sin reality really looks like. And then he is letting down the floodgates. And so the Lord protects his own, and all the sin that is behind him, and all the sin that has happened since the beginning of the world, and all the mistrust, and the deception, and the lies, and the deceit, and the hurt, and the pain, and the plagues, they're all behind him, and by his grace, we are experiencing none of them to their full, but when the four horsemen come, he's like, it's time. And he's dropping his arms. And just like you saw those gates, they are going down. And then everybody is experiencing the full weight, unbridled reality of sin. You see, Adam and Eve wanted to blame something outside of them. Right from the very beginning, they wanted, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Nobody took the blame. And we still do it to this very day. It's always outside of us. It's never inside of us. It's always somebody else's fault. Never our own. But the reality is, is that none of us deserve grace. All of us deserve the full reality and the weight of our sin. But thank God, right now, and even in this moment in Scripture, we're still in a grace period. In the Old Testament, there's some scripture that reminded me a little bit of this moment. It's in Genesis 18 where Abraham is looking at Sodom and Gomorrah with the Lord. And the Lord says, I am going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin, the slavery, the death, the, the sexual promiscuity is so bad. Child sacrifice, it's so evil. I am, I'm not longer, no more grace period for them. It stops now. It's time to be, they're going to face the end and then forever. And so Abraham's like, no, my, my nephew's there. And then he petitions the Lord, 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 if there's 50 righteous, will you relent and have mercy? And the Lord says, yes, if there's 50, I'll relent. Well, what about 40? Yes, if there's 40. What about 30? Yes, if there's 30. What about 10? If there's just 10? And the Lord says, yes. I'll relent. There's not even 10. It's just Lot and his family, and he gives them the ability to go, even just them. And then he's released. Just, just a reminder of his grace. 
He, he loves us and he wants us to come to him. But we, this reality is something that he lets us experience for a very important reason that we'll talk about in just a little bit. So number two, there's a hope even in the hardship, okay? There is a hope even in the hardship. So the four seals have been opened. Now this brings us to the fifth seal, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so these hearers of the word, the seven churches, just like our church today, would have heard this and been like, yes, Lord, let's go. Let this, let this come. There's still redemption. There's gonna be vengeance for everything that's gone wrong. Let's still come. They would have been excited to hear these things. This would have emboldened them because they knew there was going to be an end and they knew that the Lord had plans and they trusted the Lord even in all these hardships. And so even in tribulation, the Lord is letting them know that he's letting the martyrs know, he's letting the churches know, and he's letting this church today know that he's not done. There's still more that are coming in. And maybe that's you. If you know him, you're in really good shape and this shit excites you. If you do not know, he wants you. And we're in a grace period. Okay. So then we come down to Revelation 6, 12 through 17. And he says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars in the sky fell on the earth as fig trees shed its fruit when shaken by a wind or a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kingdoms of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves and caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who can stand it? So they would have heard this scripture. They would have read this letter inspired by Jesus himself, and then they would have immediately be drawn, been drawn back to Joel 2. They would have remembered Joel 2 in Scripture where it says, the earthquakes before them and the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters with his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? See, all the evil is one day going to be avenged. All this is going to stop. 
And there's going to be peace. And there's going to be restoration. There's going to be reconciliation. All those things. And so that leads us to the last point. A hope that lasts forever. A hope that lasts forever. See, this, this is when it starts to get good. You see, Revelation 7, verse 4 says, And I heard the number of the sealed, the 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And see, the churches immediately would have been reminded right then and there of numbers, where the Lord is gathering his armies, and he's gathering people from every tribe, uh, every nation, from all the sons, and he's bringing them together so they would have immediately drawn back to that. And so this isn't scary. This is something that we should be drawn to. And so this, this 144 has been gathering, and he says, I heard them gathered, 12,000 from every tribe. I heard them. I heard them, but then I turned and I saw. And so that goes us down to Revelation 7, 9. And he says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen he turned and he saw all the nations everyone gathered before the throne in the lamb he was given a glimpse of eternity and it was awesome. It was awesome. And it would have reminded them, just like it should have reminded you, that Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, they were waving palm branches and that they knew that this was the king who was going to forever reign, but he was going to reign in a kingdom that they had never experienced before. And so they didn't understand when he died on a cross and he gave his life for them. But then three days later, he rose again and he showed him that he has power over sin. He has power over death and he's going to redeem the whole thing. So all this stuff that we've heard about as hard as it is to hear, right? This is stuff that hasn't happened yet. So he said in this grace period, that's good news because he still has plans for his church, us right now. That is the great news. And I'll give you a sneak peek in Revelation 16. You know, the dam, just the gates were down with the four horsemen. But now in Revelation 16, the whole dam is coming down. All the redeemed are in the kingdom. There is none left. And so the full bowls are poured out. But it's interesting what you will read in Revelation 17. That he said, they did not repent and give him glory. They did not repent. In all that, that is here, in all this that was done, all the things that they experienced, and all the death, and the destruction, and the sin, and the heartache, and the lies, and the deceit, and everything that we experience is all supposed to help us see that we were not made for here. 
We were made for somewhere else. We were not made for death. We were made for life. And only one person offers life. His name's Jesus. He's the only, only one. So what does this mean for us? We're still in a grace period. Right now. This hasn't happened yet. He wants to use you and me as messed up as we are. As cruddy as we are. By his blood we've been redeemed and he wants to use us to redeem the whole thing. He wants us to be a part of his reconciliation. You and I get to be a part of what he is doing. What a privilege. What a privilege. He's so good. I can't believe he would give us this grace. We're still in a grace period. So just today, we've got an opportunity to be a part of this same work, this same ministering of grace. You guys have heard that we had sent out a team to Uganda, Kakira. And they went to a village where God is at work and he is bringing children in, giving them food, giving them the things that they need. And he is telling them about Jesus. And this community, which is going through a lot of hardship, is seeing these children be changed forever and seeing so much fruit that it's having so much of an impact. We get to be a part of that this very day. And I'm going to let Joseph tell you a little bit more. What an amazing work that we get to be a part of on the other side of the world. And when they go to the care point, they learn about Jesus. They learn about the stories. They realize that this is coming from churches on the other side of the world, people that they don't know that love them. And I will just tell you, a few years ago, uh, our family decided to uh, sponsor the old model where we picked the child. Uh, The new model is the child picks you. And uh, it's really cool because they are not strapped with the families. What, we, what they realized was that the families felt like they owed a debt to the people that picked their children. And in this model, the children get to pick and they don't feel that way. It gives them dignity and ownership. And so the children will pick us. But we sponsor over 200 children and we got to pick um, Shafilu. And so... When we got to pick Shafilu, um, I had not written to him. Our family had not written to him for a couple years. It was during COVID and everything that had experienced. But we sent our first team post-COVID, and I was just like, this is it. I, I just got to send something. So I took a quick picture. I threw it on a piece of paper, and I just wrote him a quick letter. All of a sudden, while the team was there, I started to get pictures of Shafilu. And, and then... Um, they said, he said, hey, I have a gift for you. I'm sending it with Melissa Prouty from our church and she's going to bring it. And so I get at my life group, we, I give the, get the gift from Melissa and it's this, this glass. And I open it up, I'm like, what is this? And then they're, she's like, oh, Mark, you don't understand. They have so little. That's a real glass. That is super expensive to them. And they do not have a lot. And that just means that he, he knows you and he's willing to care about you and he's so excited. And then she told me this. She said, did you know that Shafila wrote you a letter? And then in the letter I read that every week Shafilu prays for us. He prays for my family. 
Man, I love our God. It's nothing that we do. It is by grace we are saved. And we get to be a part of this work. So I, I encourage you to pray and think about how you would be a part of a gracious gift of helping a child and sponsoring a child. And the hope is, is that as across the campuses, we'll do over 100. So just pray about that. I'll tell you more in just a minute. But the last thing I want to remind you of is that all this was done just to help us remember all this thing, all this, this word, his desire in this the whole time was to let us experience life here without him during the grace period because after, after, we lose, after we leave here, it just gets worse if we don't know him. So he has to let us experience it here because why would we ever want to go and be with him? But he has life. He's the only one that offers life. Every other way is dead end. Jesus is the way, the truth the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And we all, everything that was done was just so that people would realize they have to repent. It's not outside of you. It's not somebody else's fault. The serpent said, did Jesus really say, don't do this? to Eve. Did Jesus really say he would die? And we face that question every single day. Did Jesus really say? Because this thing I, I want to do, I want to do it really bad. But in God's word, it says no. Yes, Jesus really said no. He really said that was sin. He really said that there would be a wake of destruction behind you if you choose that and that choice will lead to death. But I lead to life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And I'll just close with this. I realized I needed to repent. When I was in high school, there was a, a young man, and I bullied the heck out of him. He was weak. I was strong. I was an athlete. He was not. And I was relentless. And after I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord was like, you got to call him. I had to repent and I called him and I said, man, will you forgive me? He said, yes, I forgive you. The sin's inside of me. It's inside of you. We have to ask for forgiveness. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Lord, it just takes a little faith. You are such a big God and your grace is so big. You are enough. Your son on the cross was enough. You proved that you were the only way and the only truth and the only life because you rose from the grave and you defeated sin and you defeated death and you want us to be yours. And so if there's anybody here that would want to be, would would know and need, I, there's something in me that's wrong. I need you, Jesus, to fix it in me. I want to give you my life. You just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the things that are wrong on the inside of me. I want you to make me new. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again from the grave. Be my king forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you prayed that prayer today, I encourage you to go to next steps and let them know. They would love to pray with you. If there's something that you have done that you realize that, that, that did God really say and, and you've been fighting with them about it and you know you need to repent, go to next steps. They'd love to pray with you and help you repent.